Yeah, tell them the name Guardians of the Galaxy is Taken. (laughs) (laughs) What the heck? (laughs) That's a lot. There's too many in that one. Oh my God, the sass on that line. (laughs) I have a particular set of skills. And they're... (laughs) Puns are my game. Half puns. We have a particular set of skills here. And those skills are fixing. Welcome... To another episode of Screen Fix, the podcast where we will fix a recent film with me as, you know, not always. Sometimes she's gone. She was jet-setting last week. She's our jet-setter. It's Lady Wan, the co-host that carries the show. She was gone Mm -hmm. last week. She's back this week. (laughs) Tell us where you went and say hi to everybody, Lady Wan. Bonjour. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was in France, y'all. <laughs> Frenchy French. In this movie. It's appropriate. Yes, it's apropos. <laughs> <laughs> and with us again. Yes. You love him. <laughs> Fan favorite. A Screen Fix original. Mustachio. Say hi to everybody, Mustachio. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Did you just what was sing the, your I just gave, the I just, song? I just gave myself some Rocky music, I guess. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, speaking of the Eiffel Tower and Paris, when it says and all things international, this week we will be fixing Men in Black International music. Play Fergie. Always remember, the universe has a way of leading you to where you're supposed to be at the moment you're supposed to be there. Let's do this. It took me 20 years to find you. How many people can say that? You are the best kept secret in the universe. And I found you. Which makes me perfect for this job. You really think a black suit is going to solve all your problems? Mm, no, but looks damn good on you. Oh snap! Oh snap! Oh snap! Oh snap! We are a rumor, recognizable only as deja vu, and dismissed just as quickly. Time to prove yourself, Agent M. We may have a problem in London. Welcome to MIB. Move it, I lose it. You will be with Agent H, one of the best ever to wear this suit. We could all just look right here. Just try. There should be a big red button around here somewhere. Found it. We are the men in black. All right, Men in Black International, the fourth film in the Men in Black series, directed without much panache by F. Gary Gray, <laughs> a recent director of Straight Outta Compton and The Fate of the Furious. Some of his earlier films are The Negotiator and The Italian Job remake. I love that movie. The Italian Job. I love it. The Ed Norton. Uh-huh. I think the story behind that one is Ed Norton didn't want to make that, and he was still stuck in his contract when he had to make that. 
That sounds right. Yeah, they like forced him to do it. I don't think he has like hardly any scenes with anyone. I feel like Ed Norton is disgruntled with everyone and everything in Hollywood all the time. Right? Like just go be a stage actor then and leave everyone alone. (laughs) (laughs) So this one written by Art Markham and Matt Holloway, whose collective tomato scores are... 24%, 15%, 29% for films that they've done, which include Transformers The Last Night. And yet they're still getting work. Right. These wouldn't happen to be white gentlemen, would they? (laughs) Yep. They are. Whoa. Shots fired. They also have one that's 93% fresh, and that's Iron Man, the original Iron Man. But they are the fourth and fifth credited writers. So we are not counting 2008's Iron Man. This one, they are the writers, but I don't think we can actually say that they are the writers of this movie. And let me explain this. Ooh, elaborate. After this movie came out, there was a lot of mudslinging that went on afterwards. A lot of it had to do with director F. Gary Gray and producer Walter Parks clashing over the film's overall plot, etc. So, and Parks had the final cut on the film. So, uh-huh. <clears throat> this is his fault. <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> Parks, the producer, ended up rewriting most of the script, a lot of that during production. Apparently, it was so bad and so confusing that Hemsworth and Thompson ended up hiring dialogue writers for their own parts. Ooh. Yikes. That's insane. So uh, <laughs> F. Gary Gray apparently tried to exit this movie several times during the filming, and he the studio kept convincing him to stay. They, there ended up being two final cuts of this movie. One of them was the F. Gary Gray version, and one was the Parks version. The Parks version won out, and that's the movie that we got. Apparently, the original script, before anybody started touching it, was quote, edgier and more timely. And this is the script that both Hemsworth and Thompson signed on for. Uh Apparently it involved, it touched on things like immigration, Uh uh, you know, like kind of, you know, issues going on now. Yeah. Like she was known to have said in an interview, she wanted to see like the movie have a mirror held up to like current issues. Yes. Which is what the original script had, what Art Markham and Matt Holloway's script had Yeah, uh, before it was completely ripped apart by this producer Parks. Parks has been a producer on all of these films and he has a history of this, especially when it comes to Men in Black. In fact, uh, Barry Sonnenfeld knew after the third movie that him, Will Smith, and Tommy Lee Jones would never do another one again. Wow. Yeah. So anyway, (laughs) this movie had its problems, but you know, despite those props, it still had actors that try to perform under those conditions. Uh, The film stars Chris Hemsworth as Agent H, (laughs) Tessa Thompson as Agent M, Although Michael Jackson wanted to be Agent M in Men in Black 1. Anybody remember that? He tried. He should have been Agent P. I don't like this. For pedophile. The pedophile joke better stay in. All right, here we go. You want it, you got it. (laughs) Camille Nanjani as the little alien Pawnee. Uh, It also stars as our two main villains, two professional dancers known as Lay Twins. Yeah. They are Laurent and Larry Nichols 
bourgeois. They are French dancers, choreographers, producers, models, designers, and creative directors for their brand, Eleven Paris. They are known as Lil Beast and Cobblaze. They are dance-off kings. They are. They have. They actually won a few TV dance competitions, including the one that's hosted by J Lo. But they've been featured dancers for Beyonce, Megan Trainor, Missy Elliott, and they've also modeled for Jean Paul Gaultier, uh, Chanel, Gucci, Prada, Versace, Jay Z's Rockaware. I mean, these guys are. They're pretty sexy. Arguably, some of the most famous people in the, in the movie, and they were our. They were. They. They. They were sexy. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, was, that a, was that a question? Since they're twins, would you have taken them one at a time, or? <laughs> yes, I think the the whole twin cest thing is gross. <laughs> twin cest, <laughs> <laughs> twin cest. <laughs> like even if they didn't make eye contact, nah, I mean, it's still it's too weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So it also had Rebecca Ferguson as Riza and Emma Thompson as Agent O. Queen Emma Thompson. I love her. She's pretty she's pretty amazing. So that was our main cast. There were troubles behind the scenes. Mm. Did this movie have troubles in the box office? Why don't you give us Lady Wands Fresh Hot Stats? There was definitely trouble at the box office Ew. big trouble this movie only made 30 million dollars in the u.s its opening weekend which Oof. is the lowest by far in the entire franchise every other men in black movie opened to at least 50 million if not more franchise low this is the second week in a row that we've done a film that was its franchises low mm-hmm. it's a summer of crap <laughs> we're on a bad streak here screen fixers <laughs> Rough summer. <laughs> it's a rough summer for anything not made by Disney. True. Because <laughs> Toy Story 4 is going to crush it. And so oh, is totally. Spider-Man. Yeah. And so is Lion King. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. Like, those are all going <laughs> to destroy. Totally. <laughs> yeah, so overall, it's only made $106 million worldwide. What? And it costs $110 million to make. Dang. That's on the cheap, too, for one of these kind of movies. Yeah. $110? $110 million for the production budget. I actually read another article that said that the production budget was actually 94, but the studio inflated it, which is so sad. Can you imagine a studio being like trying to inflate the budget to sound like it's more expensive and a bigger movie than it was? This movie has so many problems. What a mess. There's a lot to fix here. I'm so excited, too. I know. So was I. I That's the saddest part. I was so happy for this to come out. I was Uh, so disappointed. Y'all remember when we talked about it? Yes. Yes, and we were all stoked for it. Yeah. Yeah. God damn it. Men in the black. Wait, isn't that good? (laughs) Yes, it is in the black. In in the black (laughs) is actually kind of good, yeah. Yeah. In the red means you're losing money. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) men. Men in red. <laughs> oh, yeah. terrible. All right, people are not throwing their money down on it, but the ones that do, what do they think? Why don't you give us the tomatoes? This movie is 24% rotten, according to critics. Ouch. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's the lowest in the franchise. The original was 92% fresh. The oh. second one was 39% rotten, which Ew, I think they is hated like- it. I think that's a little low. Was that one good? 
it's not great, but it's it, I'll watch it on TV. Would you watch this one on TV? Because I might. Yeah, I think I would probably watch this one on TV. Just because I like Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson. That's it. Yeah, and Chris Hemsworth's shirtless for like a decent amount of time. <laughs> <laughs> like they just like they like lingered. <laughs> the camera just lingered. Yeah, he gets slowed down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the camera really treated him like he was like Angelina Jolie in Tomb Raider. It was just like pan up, pan down, look again. <laughs> like it was just like he's a piece of meat and it's great. <laughs> he's a piece of meat and it's great. Man, what a day and age we live in. <laughs> if I said that about a woman. <laughs> the thing is, people have been saying it about women. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, the third Men in Black movie is 68% fresh. Really? I think that's too high. That was a weird movie. I didn't love that Six- one. No. How much? 68% fresh. What? I want to say the third one is the Pitbull one, because that's the one with the Pitbull song in it. That's the one with Josh Brolin as K and Jay goes yeah. back in time. It doesn't follow the same structure as the first two and actually this one as well. The original, the second one and international have pretty much the same plot structure, but the third one deviates from that a little. That's the one where you find out that like K knew Jay when he was a little kid. Yeah. To me that like ruins their whole relationship for the first two. So in my personal opinion, I have decided that MIB3 is not canon. Stricken. <laughs> like I, I refuse to accept it as canon. I'm like, no. It's bad, like fan fan fiction. Yeah, even though Will Smith is in it, I'm like, no. He didn't do a song, therefore it doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> what would he do? Like the other ones here comes the men in black, the other ones black suits come in. This like how many times can he do a song about people in black suits? Two. And he's he's always dusting for fresh prints. <clears throat> <laughs> Sorry. Alan, take me a second. I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'm just going just gonna to end it. I'm turning off the mic right now. On that note. So it sounds like you definitely have opinions about the Men in Black franchise, uh, Lady Wan. Is this a franchise that you feel connected to and that you want to continue? After seeing this one, I'm a little iffy. But I was very excited for the concept of it coming back. And I love these movies. Not so much the third one. But when I saw the first one in the theater, I actually got, like, freaked out. And my mom had to take me to another theater to watch, like, whatever kids movie was out. I just got really scared, like, when they blew up the alien at the beginning in the cold open. Really? Mm -hmm. Like, it just... it just shook me and I was like oh I'm I'm and my mom looked over and I was like white and she's like okay you're going in the in the theater next door where your your cousin and your brother are watching the kids movie and so she took me in there and left me there it was George of the Jungle oh my god <laughs> you got sent <laughs> the, the the Brendan Fraser George of the Jungle oh my god that, that is hilarious Brendan <laughs> Fraser <laughs> He was now bloated as ever. Ugh. Yeah, but his body in George of the Jungle was banging. Heck yeah. <laughs> I was like 11 and I was like, what? That's where you first <laughs> got your love of the shirtless male. <laughs> Maybe. I think we've just figured it out. All right. Better shirtless body, George of the Jungle, Brendan Fraser, or Thor, Chris Hemsworth? Fat Thor. Which Thor? PTSD Thor or? <laughs> <laughs> Video gamer. Thor. The main Thor series, Thor. Thor. Really? Yeah. 
Yeah. Sorry, Brandon. The, the the first movie has some like indelible scenes. Like I remember when Jay goes to like the examination room and he's got he's having all those problems with like he's poking holes through the paper. He's trying to find his seat. He's trying to find leverage to write on something. He's pulling the table <laughs> like over to him and chair. like yeah. <laughs> I just remember that scene feeling like it, it like it got lived in. There's so much there with the original that doesn't carry over into these other movies. That's not there in this one. Yeah, the originals had a fantastic kind of like manic energy to them, and that was definitely the direction of Barry Sonnenfeld. I mean, he he came from uh, the Coen Brothers. He was one of the Coen. He was a Coen oh, Brothers sure. guy, and that definitely shines through in those those films as well. Probably why you were a little bit scared, Lady One. I think. Yeah. So. Okay, so before we start fixing, a lot of people work on these movies. We need to give them their props. It doesn't matter if we liked it or not. These are people's livelihoods. Let's go ahead. Let's say something we liked about this movie. Lady Wan, go. I really liked the design of the alien twins. Yeah. Before they were in the French breakdancers' bodies. <laughs> um, <laughs> by the way, I looked up their character names. They're alien twin and alien twin. They didn't even name them. They didn't them. even bother to give them they names. They didn't even do Alien Twin 1 and Alien Twin 2 either. They're both just Alien Twin. Yeah, so those aliens were really cool. I, I loved when they appeared and they would use their energy and it would like bend and crack the walls and crack mm-hmm. the floor and like the way they kind of look like spacey. It was awesome. They looked great. They kind of looked like galaxies like inside yeah. of a, a human outline. It yeah. was crazy. I thought it was extremely cool. And the way they like melted people definitely reminded oh, me yeah. of how I got freaked out when I was a kid and I saw mm-hmm. the first one. It was, it was <laughs> yeah. the same sort of like, yes. most of this movie seems pretty cool, but that's like graphic and kind of upsetting. This series needs to be freaky. <laughs> yeah. Mustachio, what is something you liked about Men in Black International? Uh, I liked Pawnee. Oh, yeah. You liked, oh Camille Nanjani. Yeah. Uh, you liked the performance of Pawnee. <laughs> I like his... Like how he's like the medium by which they speak to each other. <laughs> that was actually one of the funniest scenes yeah, in the whole like, movie. Yeah, queen, the jackass wants to say so. Yeah. I, I, just, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that was one of the best. Yeah, when they were having that fight in the desert and they weren't talking and he was the, the mediary. Yeah. Probably one of the most successful comedic scenes in the, in the movie for sure. <laughs> I laughed out loud when he was like, she says thanks. did you like anything about this movie jc yeah but the fact that i just kind of liked it is a problem it's fine it's it's kind of like what you said i'd watch it if it came on tv oh yeah i would totally watch this on tbs one afternoon (laughs) (laughs) like that's that's about it i was watching it going all right this is fine this is whatever like i've already picked out who the villain is i already know what's gonna happen there's nothing challenging in it they don't I'm supposed to say something that I like, so. Yeah, you're always you're, supposed to say something that yeah, you like in this It's called likes. You never do. Yes, yeah, I do. say likes. Still, even though it was not utilized to its maximum potential, <laughs> god damn it, I can't it's say anything again. Yet. I do. So much preface. I like Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson as a film duo. I think they should do cool. more things. So you would like to see them kind of in like a like a Shane Black buddy cop movie? Yeah, or like, you know, Shanghai Noon or something. <laughs> yeah. 
There you go. Because that's the same thing. Yeah, just like pals. Like, okay, let's, you know what? Let's have a f- male-female film duo that aren't fucking. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Why can't they be a Jackie Chan and Owen Wilson, like, friends that aren't fucking? Can you imagine Owen Wilson fucking Jackie Chan? No, I think it would go the other way. <laughs> yeah. And Jackie Chan would be doing his own humps. Such a weird joke. Why, why am I always the bottom? <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, you're really getting in there. This is really good. Have you been practicing again? This is fantastic. Wow. I think I think you fixed my nose. You're really showing me some tenderness. Wow. I think you're onto something back there. Wow. Now, when whenever you're ready, just feel free to pull out and just go right on my back. It's fine. Just go ahead and do it. We're a team. High five, partner. That just went so far. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't. I'm so uncomfortable. Wow. <laughs> We just shanghaied that topic. Now that that's out of the way, uh, it's time to fix this movie. But first, we're going to give you a really brief synopsis, courtesy of Movie Pooper. Movie Pooper, wiping away the excess. Here's their one-pinch summary. Molly Wright has been obsessed with finding the men in black ever since they came to her house as a child, and she met a real alien. As an adult... She finds the agency and convinces Agent O to let her in. Molly becomes Agent M and is sent to London to team up with Agent H to stop a threat from a destructive alien race known as the Hive. M is given a crystal from an alien named Vungus that turns out to be a compressed star that has been made into a super weapon. On their mission, they are joined by a small alien named Pawnee who pledges allegiance to M as his new queen after his original one is killed. Searching for it are the Dyads, twin shapeshifters that drain organic matter of energy. The MIB, led by High T, destroy the Dyads, but the agents realize that T has been a mole in the agency and he has been wanting to get his hands on the crystal after being infected by a hive alien during his and H's previous encounter with them. M and H fight T in the Eiffel Tower after he morphs into a hive alien trying to use the crystal to destroy planets. M gets her hands on the crystal and destroys both T and the hive's entire base. The two agents are promoted and later joined by Pawnee in further adventures. Men in Black International. That is a really quick summary. Oh, that was a fantastic summary. There's a lot more in there. Cooper's got it going on. No mention on. of RZA. Fantastic No summary. mention of RZA whatsoever. <laughs> Throw away exactly. character. Extraneous to the plot. Exactly. Alright, so now that we've done the summary, what do you say we fix this movie? What do you think, guys? Fix the shit. Here comes okay. the fixes in assorted nerdy t-shirts. t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> movie plot defenders. <laughs> Lady Wan, you know you're first. Why don't you give us your first fix? So as I said previously, this episode and on other episodes, I love Men in Black. I enjoy the whole concept, the movies, even not the good ones. I just think it's fun. I like that it's different. I also really like the things that are unique to them, like the neuralizer and erasing people's memories and making it all covert and we were never here and they're a rumor, they're, you know, a myth, they're nothing 
I really like that, and I yeah. think that's unique to the Men in Black. And this movie abandons that about like twenty five minutes in. <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> like as soon as M becomes an agent and starts working with H, he doesn't act like a Men in Black agent at all. He's either not wearing the uniform or not wearing it correctly. He's cavalier. He's kind of shitty at his job. He doesn't have any regard for being not noticed. He doesn't act like a man in black at all. And I feel like throughout their adventures together, they just seem like any old spy movie. Like it felt very James Bondish to me when they're going through Marrakesh, like on that bike. She fires the neuralizer twice. But then they keep driving like through hundreds of people and they don't fire it again. Mm-hmm. On like some crazy space motorcycle. Yeah, on yeah. like a full on alien bike and they don't do anything about it. And also the funny thing about the Neuralizer in the other movies is after they fire it, they like give them a suggestion of what the memory is going to be. And they did that in the cold open where they like played the bit a few times where it's like, ask her in the elevator, ask her when you get down. But in the other ones, Will Smith would always make up like something really funny. Like second, take her to Cambodia, get her a lobster dinner, pay more than a dollar. It's a moment for comedy that this movie completely whiffs on. So my fix would be to make them actually behave like men in black, stick to, I guess I would say stick to the script, but we kind of know that there wasn't one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, like stick to the tropes that are there for this organization. It didn't feel like a men in black movie other than there were aliens. Yeah. It, a lot of it felt almost like a James Bond movie, like mission impossible. MI six types of especially Chris Hemsworth's character like yeah. they, they even have him like sleep with the alien like he's very much James Bond they're just reckless throughout the whole movie they create like essentially another Grand Canyon like nobody does anything about it the whole final battle at the Eiffel Tower with the hive coming down and then she shoots the star into it like that must have done something right and they don't do anything to cover it up to secure the scene Like, there was the opportunity to mirror the second movie where the Statue of Liberty was a giant neuralizer and have the Eiffel Tower flash a giant neuralizer. It sparkles at night. Like, it already goes off and lights up. Why not have that be, like, a callback to the other movies, but also tying up the loose ends of you just shot a star cannon through a portal above a very, very populated city. You kind of have to cover that up. That's the whole thing. That's the job. Yeah, the end, too. It makes that giant, crazy-looking cloud bubble, too, that does not look right. natural. No! People would be like, what the hell is And it's Paris. People that? are out on the street all night. They would have seen it. Now you're just bragging. Okay, well, okay, you've been to Paris. <laughs> no. <laughs> we get it. <laughs> Gay Perry would wonder what the cloud is. Actually, they probably wouldn't. They'd be like, there's a giant blue cloud above the tower affair. <laughs> like, do you want to go investigate it? No. <laughs> Let's go have a cappuccino and, and not talk to each other. <laughs> Mustachio, I know you've got a fix. Okay, so as a kid, she meets this uh, tarantula alien thing that she helps. It's so cute. Yeah. They totally just did not use that character at all. They, they, they used it for a stupid, like, turn on Riza scene, and that's it. Mm-hmm. 
I would rewrite that as like he's almost like the reason how and why she gets the job. And so I would have Agent O asking her why she wants to be in the MIB. She says she helped a tarantulin that she like befriended as a kid. So Agent O knows that a missing tarantulin is the key to figuring out what's going on with the London agency. Um, she hires M to find out what's going on. And this kind of shows that Agent O kind of is more calculating in her choice to hire M. Oh, instead of like, oh, I do look good in black. Uh, yeah, this is a, a choice move on her part to have somebody mm-hmm. that met a tarantulin and they could find out for her what's going on because otherwise everybody's just been neuralized over there. And that makes O seem way more competent at her job. And she hires her for that reason. She gets to the island. She helps out. And we find out that a neuralized Agent H brought the big blue you know, tarantulin guy to Riza. And then that was wiped from his memory because we find out that he knew why the agency was so untrustworthy. He found out why everyone's being neuralized. And so when she befriends him and he, he comes with her and leaves that island, we find out that he's kind of like this missing link as to what's going on. So it gives weight to why she chose to be in the MIB, this reunion, and it also it helps us to figure out what's going on in the MIB and how he was the key to it. I'm sorry, does that... <laughs> Definitely changes some of the damn movie. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, JC, we want to we know what's your first fix. All right, my first fix is kind of a small one. It has to do with the whole scene that involves Riza. I think most of us think Riza. Mm-hmm. The whole scene with Riza is almost a waste. She's this arms dealer, supposed to be one of the most scary killers in the whole on the on the planet. Supposedly lives in the, a super fortified, crazy island, but like a mega fortress of for sure death. They sure do get on there pretty easily. And at one point, Chris Hemsworth just punches out two guys and then walks straight into a control room and disables the guns. That's how mm-hmm. heavily fortified this place is. So yeah, he gets past the laser guns by waving at them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And can we serious. can we also address that he threw a hammer at that guy? <laughs> That's right, he did. There's a part where he throws the hammer. But I wanted to fix this whole scene, and I thought, okay, if, if this scene's gonna be dumb, we might as well make it comedic, right? I thought that the whole Riza Island scene would have been a great scene for a comedic cameo. Now, apparently Chris Hemsworth is H has had a relationship with this person, with this woman, right? And Pawnee even says something like, yeah, she's hot or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. So it would have been hilarious had they shown up on this island and this murderous arms dealer is a crazy looking alien where you're like, oh my God, H had a relationship with that? What gives? Like, make it look like a really bizarre alien, and you're like, that's what Pawnee thinks is attractive, and it could have been a great <laughs> joke. Yeah, yeah. And put a great, like, comedian in that role, too. I'm thinking, like, Catherine Hahn or something like that. Like, just give that scene more, because basically we're just put on an island with a woman who's a scorned lover, but really it's just an alien with a third arm. 
Mm-hmm. Like probably the least creative alien you could come up with. Yeah, period. Just throw another arm on her. And it would have been hilarious if she was an alien-looking thing that was mad at Chris Hemsworth, but then immediately horny for him. <laughs> and, and Pawnee's horny too, because he's like, "Ooh, look at the way she moves." Yes, and Pawnee is all into it too. He has to escape her clutches in a comedic scene where he's running around half naked. That yeah. would have helped. <laughs> would have helped. And Wait, he, like, he like neuralizes himself every time he leaves. <laughs> That's so fucked up. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Like he's still got the tentacle marks. <laughs> Lady One, do you have another one? So during the movie, M calls H inept and arrogant, and she calls him out for just his general pretty poor behavior throughout the movie. And everyone at MIB London keeps saying, especially see that he's like basically a burnout. Like he's not the agent he used to be. We see that he's kind of a mess, but they also keep saying that he's the greatest agent that they have. So that that doesn't really track to me. And I understand that C is saying that High T has been covering up for him. And ever since they saved the world from the hive, he's been, you know, bailing him out of getting in trouble. By the end of the movie, we understand that that's because High T has been taken over by the hive and he's just really protecting his own plan for the hive to take over. But I would have preferred it if the movie explains why H is such a dumb frat boy version of an MIB agent. And I want that to be because since the incident with the hive in 2016, he has been on the path to figure out what's going on in MIB because he's noticed that stuff is going wrong. He's been aware that there was a mole and he keeps trying to figure this out and he keeps coming to the conclusion that it must be high T and high T keeps neuralizing him instead of doing anything about it. As uh, Jay says in the earlier movies, you don't really know the long-term effects of repeatedly neuralizing people. And I would like those (laughs) long-term effects to be, you become real stupid. It's why he's sloppy. He's not just kind of full of himself because his boss keeps bailing him out. He's being zapped repeatedly, and he's a mess because that's what T is doing to him. And he's Uh doing it out of guilt that, like, he's protecting himself, but that's his mentee, and he wants to make sure that that he's still okay. But but he feels bad that he keeps doing this to him. So he keeps him around, and he just – it keeps happening. And I want them to give us – I'm thinking maybe we can have it, like, in flashbacks at the end when we see it, that he – is constantly figuring this out because he is a great agent. He has figured it out over and over. And every time he gets to calling T out for being a mole, T just neuralizes him. And then he just, homeboy just keeps getting dumber. Damn. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So you could also explain like the arrogance too. Mm -hmm. Like he needs to keep H good, but not too good. And definitely generally hated by the rest of the Mm -hmm. men in black agents to keep the heat off of himself. So maybe whenever he wipes him, he goes, you're arrogant and you think you're better than everybody else. Like maybe that's part of the story. Yeah, that's like the suggestion. Because even that one alien that he's apparently known for a long Mm -hmm. time, when that alien grabs his arm and the alien says like, you've changed. Yeah. Right. That can be why. So It's the suggestion after being neuralized. So he's been neuralized so many times that he's borderline brain damage. (laughs) And he's also being fed that he thinks is better than everybody Mm -hmm. else. Mm -hmm. That's good. That explains that way better than the movie does. Yeah, otherwise he's just incompetent for no real reason. Yet everyone still thinks he's super sexy. Because he is. The H stands for hump. (laughs) 
Or maybe hunk. Probably hunk fits better in hung? the situation. Anyway. <laughs> hung! It could also stand for hung. <laughs> oh, I hope it does. That is hilarious. Okay. <laughs> All right. Mustachio, why don't you lay another one on us? Okay. So, high T. I've got a problem with him. B- besides yeah. his name? Ugh. What the fuck? <laughs> We're supposed to give a fuck about <laughs> this character at the end uh, turning into an, its alien form, and it's like, oh, that's the big reveal. It was him all along. Who gives a shit, man? This character, <laughs> this character is not menacing. Uh, it's no. not inconspicuous. Like pretty much independently, three people figure out that this is the bad guy. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's one of the worst movie twists. This movie suffers from a lot of that stuff. Like, everything's broadcast so easily. Well, they don't introduce any other agents at the agency. They're like, there's a mole at MIB. Meet four people. (laughs) Who will it be? And it's so obviously not the one that hates Chris Hemsworth. Like, of course it's it's high T. The moment he walked on the screen, I was like, yeah, he's... So it's, it's it's so broadcast. Like that's one of the biggest problems with this movie is that is was the fact that that bad guy is so apparent so early. Yeah, and it would be different if it was I don't know not as stupid of a reveal. I would like like in the first one, Vincent D'Onofrio's character, the bug. That shit's so good. Like cockroaches everywhere. So he like lurks like his body is just kind of like like in rigor mortis kind of thing like i i, I love yes. everything about that character so good and then he shape shifts into this terrible alien monster thing at the end and it's like oh damn yeah that did not happen in this movie. <laughs> so what I wanted was there to be something going on with agents turning up missing, getting neuralized everywhere, um, getting killed. Mm. I wanted there to be like, uh, so aliens that come through like MIB for security and immigration, I wanted them to feel like MIB is not doing its job to keep them secure I wanted there to be a feeling yeah. of like something's killing us and we don't know what mm-hmm. it is. So yeah. I wanted that alien, the, the high T alien, I wanted it to be looking for um, the Jababian like weapon all along. I wanted him to be killing mm-hmm. folks and I wanted his like form to be compromised. So we constantly find out that he has to kill people that know that it's him. Yeah. Yeah. And since he's he's been infiltrated by a hive alien maybe it's like the hive aliens realize that they're not going to beat mib with firepower but maybe they can take down mib from within Mm. by making them seem like they're untrustworthy yeah there should have been more with like the alien community i wanted there to be something more of a menacing enemy that comes up at the end yeah the movie doesn't do anything to set him up as a very scary villain. Right. The movie doesn't set him up at yeah. all. Even at the end when Chris Hemsworth is like, you were a father to me. They don't set that <laughs> yeah. up either. Uh-huh. Yeah. They do no work setting up high T. Like they just threw that line in there. They throw in that he's been part of the hive in there, but they don't show him really doing anything terrible. Even if they were to show different aliens being murdered and just like it was a mystery figure that was doing yeah. it. It would have given us something to to latch onto when it came to the reveal that High T is is the mole and is a member of the hive. But at the end, they tried to just like spoon feed us like he's Chris Hemsworth's father figure. 
he is a terrible hive alien and it's none of it works Mm-mm. jc what's your last fix my last fix is gonna change this whole movie oh shit yeah. oh snap, oh, snap. <laughs> <laughs> the problem here is that this movie is doing so much of the same old, same old. Just the movie never takes flight. It's going through the motions. It's very banal, as they say in Paris. (laughs) (laughs) So I want them to do something completely different with this story. I want these two characters in space. (gasps) And let me tell you how I'm going to do that. Tessa Thompson is brand new. She's over in London. She gets pulled into Agent H's shenanigans on accident just like in the film however when blue shrek dies <laughs> i want h&m h&m i know i had the same realization earlier today discount clothing <laughs> i wanted them to get blackmailed for the death Ooh. of that character yeah where did those stakes go right it was like really important yeah. that they take care of the member of the royal family they said that he's very very dangerous and they have to deal with them when they come to the planet they're these diplomats mm-hmm. that they need to show them a good time and get them off the planet and make sure that they're safe when he gets killed they get blackmailed for mm-hmm. this death and they are both taken to space via the eiffel tower Ooh. gateway and they are put on trial on another planet right they uh, end up escaping that trial with the help of tessa thompson's little bird tarantulin baby he can be there he's he's the one who helps them escape their trial and then they are on a planet hopping adventure to clear their names and get back to earth to discover who blackmailed them we can get pawnee still in the movie by having them end up on a giant chess planet let's do something completely different Let's get these agents off of Earth and let's get them into space and see if we can change the movie. You know, like instead of them being part of a secret organization monitoring aliens, let's have them off into space. They need to rely on aliens to help Mm -hmm. them. We already like Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth in space. space. Throw them back in space. Throw them back in space. Let's do it. Let's do this. Could be men in black intergalactic, not international. Yeah. Oh my God, that's what it should have been called. Holy shit, Lady One, holy shit. Yes. Leave his reaction in there. Oh, I'm going to. I'm going to make that my ringtone. (laughs) Lady One, holy shit. (laughs) All right, great fixes. I think without further ado, we should consider... Men in Black International. Screen Galaxy Defender. <laughs> do you have a final thought, Lady One? I do. So my final thought has to do with the relationship between H&M. So we've already talked about how Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson have great chemistry, but like it's really not a romantic chemistry. I get like, especially in this movie, I get yeah. little sister vibes from her. Like she's poking at him. Yeah. She's giving him a hard time for being kind of a dummy. It's a fun back and forth banter relationship, but it's not romantic at all. No. So at the very end of the movie, when she's told she's got to report back to New York and he's going to be in charge of the London agency, she kind of gives him like a longing look like, oh, I'm so sad that I won't be with you anymore and he kind of looks back at her like oh it's so sad and 
Emma Thompson gives her the line like, yeah, well, you know, sacrifices. I'm like, what? They they, they just work together for like two days. For like a, they yeah. work at the <laughs> same place. It's like a three-minute train ride, according to this movie. That's right. From you New York that, to like, London. That like hyper train. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like I was so confused. Not only is there no romantic setup for them to be sad to not be together and partners anymore, they also can only know other MIB agents. It's not like he was going to get neuralized and not remember her. It was none of that. They still work at the same place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've dated people in my own city that are farther <laughs> away than they are from this hyper right? train <laughs> that's three minutes from New York to London. Like, stop the longing. You know, okay, this is how that scene should have gone. Like, so they should have, like, you know, caught eyes for, like, a second, and then Emma Thompson should have been like, Oh, come off it, guys. You're a three-minute hyper train away. <laughs> yes. You know, and then you could have had yes. like a little ending scene where Tessa Thompson is leaving work at MIB for the day in New York, and she walks into an old New York City pub, and H is there. Right. And that's it. They they don't need to be... They could just be friends meeting at totally. a bar. Or they could be there discovering if they have romantic chemistry because there was none in the oh. movie, so... Let us use our imaginations, yeah, yeah, whether or not yeah. we think that they got together or not. You know, do you, uh, do you have a final thought, Mustachio? I gotta say, I wanted more of the Mustachio alien, the the little beard guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was like the little alien beard. Yeah, so okay, gross. so he wasn't a mustache. Yeah, got it. He was <laughs> he was the beard under part, and he looked like he had like a big pelt when he stood upright. I like that guy. That's uh, that's good shit. <laughs> yeah, there should have been more of that weird kind of alien. Mm-hmm. JC, do you have a final thought? I thought Tessa Thompson's character should have been hyper intelligent and brainy and just an overachiever type character. Mm-hmm. And I think it wavered a bit. She definitely did some of her homework, but there's a lot of times where Agent H kind of mansplained away the stuff that she learned in the in the books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, you know, and I didn't want that. I, I wanted her to actually be the super intelligent, super smart part of that duo. Mm-hmm. It gives them a better contrast. H is brave and illogical, which you need sometimes, True. right? But I wanted Tessa to be the overachieving A plus 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 agent, you know, who just like attacks everything with knowledge and knows everything about every alien. I also thought, remember the part where she comes in and she like, I think this is when she's already been through training too, where she she pets that one alien oh, yeah, and it, it turns like falls into apart and goes everywhere. it falls apart. I thought that that. I, I was like, oh, that's going to be a test, and she's now kicked out. You know what I mean? I, I was I was like, that was her test, and she failed it. No, that was nothing. That had, that had nothing no. going on. It, nothing No, nothing it. happened it was, at all. Oh, God, it was so no, weird. she, she, she tough. <laughs> so anyway, I just really wanted a very clear dynamic between the mm-hmm. two. All right, well, I guess we should move into uh, some uh, listener posts. I have some here from Facebook. People are wonderful. All right. So from our Godzilla King of the Monsters posts, we have Chris Verardo says, I don't know how it could have been improved. Best Godzilla movie to date. It made Toho proud. Ian Phillips says, I thought it was good. Lots of kick-ass monster fights. That's what I paid for. That's basically your sentiment exactly, isn't it, Lady One? Totally. Dante Haskell says, this is top five best Godzilla movies of all time. Probably is, though. Wow. 
Pro- <laughs> you're probably <laughs> so many right. Of them involve a man in a rubber suit. So yes, automatically top five. <laughs> Trevor McCarthy says, "I don't care what you say. Godzilla was amazing." Joshua E. Coop says, "It doesn't need fix. Movie ranked with original and Ghidorah the three-headed monster." All right, people are liking this one. Dusty Lee Miller says, I think there might have been some pacing issues here and there, and I think it could have been trimmed down to like an hour and 45 minutes. But for the most part, other than that, it was pretty good. I think the critics are a little hard on it. Thank you, Dusty Lee Miller, for always having something a little more thoughtful to say. You're right, this movie probably ran a little bit long. Tommy Pierce says, I like how they only have four monsters fight. (laughs) (laughs) But I wish to see all of them fight. That's true. At the very end, there was like only like five monsters came up and like bowed before Godzilla. And, and the actual fighting monsters, yeah, was, was like four. four. Only four of them really got into it. And they, they spent a, a whole bunch of time saying how there were like 14 titans so far. Ugh, back on my Godzilla rant. All right. So that's a couple of our Godzilla comments. Make sure that you are part of the community. We're all over the place. Lady Juan, why don't you tell them what to do and where they can find us? Well, you can find us on Facebook. Just search for Screen Fix Podcast. And you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Screen Fix Pod. You can send an email to the show at ScreenFixPod at gmail.com. And you can listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and Libsyn. If you're enjoying the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. We would appreciate it. Do it. And uh, tell a friend. Tell five friends. So we also have a Patreon account. You can donate to your favorite podcast here. We've got all new tiers and perks. Check it out. Patreon. Search for Screen Fix Podcast. All right, let's do the queen scene between Pawnee, Agent M, and Agent H. You obviously be Agent M, Lady Wan. Okay. You're Pawnee Mustachio, and I will be Agent H. Ready? And... Scene. What happened here? We had the best party. Kanye showed up and dropped the new album. What do you think? We got our asses kicked. What do you think what happened? Sorry. Wait, are you a queen? Hmm? Indeed, she is. (laughs) He's not Australian in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Are you a queen? Yes, uh, to the extent that every woman is a queen. I pledge loyalty eternal to you. No, 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 no. I'm not interested. Uh, too late. I, I pledge loyalty. You should have said no, no, no before. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Oh, my gosh. They should have cast you two. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned next week when we will be fixing either Child's Play or Toy Story 4, whichever one these fools feel like doing. Bye, everybody. My queen, the jackass, wants to watch TBS. She goes to Paris. What the? You're obsessed with that film. (laughs) I am. (laughs) I was Mia for Halloween. (laughs) Sweet. I have the yellow dress. Did you uh, levitate when you danced? I tried. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Kinda.
you know, <laughs> it felt like it. 